This morning's scripture is taken from the book of Matthew. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Christine. This is the word of the Lord. These are the words of Jesus that we find in the Sermon on the Mount, which we are making our way through. And today he repeated, if you were listening, you caught twice Jesus said, don't pray like this. Don't pray like the hypocrites and don't pray like the Gentiles. So today is a day of negative examples. Sometimes in teaching, it's good to have negative examples, and sometimes it is positive examples. Uh, today is what not to do regarding prayer. Uh, tomorrow, next Sunday, tomorrow. <laughs> next Sunday will be the positive example of what to do. We'll start thinking about that leading at the conclusion of the sermon, but today, Jesus focuses our thinking on prayer, and primarily, he wants us to consider some ways in which we need to avoid in our praying. So hopefully this will be helpful to us. If you're here with us for the first time, we've been trying to make our way all the way through uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus has now come to a different section, which he points to more of the practice of the faith. We have been thinking about the relaxed teaching of the scribes and Pharisees, which fell short of the righteousness of God. And now Jesus is thinking about the practice of religion and how that gets worked out in the lives of the people who are part of the kingdom of God. So Jesus is speaking to, to believers. He's speaking to Christians. He's not speaking to the world in general. He's talking to those who want to be his followers. And he's describing the lifestyle which ought to mark Christians. And so as you come today, uh, the topic is prayer. Um, what do you think about prayer? Do you even think about praying? Is it a regular practice of your life? Is it something you plan for? Or do you just expect it to happen? Uh, Jesus forces us to think about both how we pray and even the thoughts in our minds about God which shapes our praying. So he's going to force us to think about all of these things. So he, he starts with a principle and then he gives us three applications. So there's a principle he gives and then he uses what has been called the, the sort of the chief three practices of the, of the Jewish faith, which is almsgiving, giving to the poor, um, prayer today and to next week, and then also fasting is what Jesus is illustrating. But let's look at the principle. Go with me to verse 1 of chapter 6, and let's, let's read the principle that he's, he's laying out before us. He says... Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. That's the principle. Don't practice your righteousness in order to be seen by other people. Because if you do that, you're going to miss a heavenly reward. A reward from your heavenly Father. And so the point is, 
Jesus is saying, I don't want you to miss the reward. We we see this in in the first 21 verses of of chapter 6. Jesus uses the uh, the word reward seven times. He uses a parallel word treasure three times. Uh, So he's, he's pressing out before us a way of living that God the Father will be rewarding. And so that's the purpose of his teaching. It's to lead his followers into a a kind of living that the heavenly father will reward and away from a kind of living that will not receive a commendation or praise or reward from God the Father. So that's that's the principle. And now illustrations. The last we looked at how do you give to the poor. Um, And now we're going to look at how do you pray. And Jesus, uh, he gives us two negative examples and then he gives us a clue of what we should do. So two how not to pray examples like the hypocrites and the Gentiles and then how to pray. So let's first take the hypocrites. Uh, Verse five, we see this. I'll just read verse five again. This is how not to pray. And they have two problems. The hypocrites have two problems. It's the why they are praying and the to whom they are praying. So let's see if you see this. Verse five. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners so that they may be seen by others. And truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. So again, there's some observations we can make just by listening to Jesus's words. And don't you wish you could hear his voice? I, I, if some of you listen to dramatic readings of scripture, which might help you in your Bible reading. Um, There is a free Bible reading app called the Public Reading of Scripture, which you can download for free and listen to the entire Bible. Um, There's a class every Sunday morning at 9 a.m. that listens to Scripture. But I just wonder, what inflection, what tone of voice did Jesus have as he's saying what he is saying? Because he he doesn't want you to miss this. This is important. So prayer, I mean, everybody on the planet prays especially just before you have an exam or a test or something significant happen. Everybody prays. The question is how, to whom, why, what's going on in your heart? So it's assumed that prayer happens because Jesus says, when you pray, he does not say if you pray, he says when you pray. So he's assuming he's speaking to praying people. So everybody ought to have prayer as a pattern. The question is how? Because even the hypocrites pray, right? He says, when you pray, don't pray like the hypocrites, which is astounding to me because hypocrites are praying people. They they do religious things. There are people who have no faith in God who do religious activities. What we might think are righteous and good I mean, we might say, it is good to pray. Well, Jesus is saying, it's good, but only if it achieves a certain point or only if it's grounded in a certain way. So, godless people do pray. Fake Christians pray. Yet he's saying, don't pray in the wrong way. So, be careful. In fact... Hypocrites not only do pray, but do you see the word Jesus uses to describe their prayer? They love to pray. They love to pray. That's, that word is phileo. It's, it's, it's to have a passionate engagement for or infec- affection towards. So not, they are not ambivalent towards prayer. Hypocrites, in fact, love to pray. They are passionately engaged in prayer. 
So passion in prayer is not the only definitional understanding of what it means to be a true Christian. Right? Passionate people can pray loud, fervent prayers and sweat and all kinds of stuff. And it'd be pointless. That's what Jesus is saying. Don't pray like that. They love to pray. How? Here's what we see. They, they love to pray. This, this, this helps us to understand the location of their praying helps us to understand the problem with their praying. Why? They, they love to pray in the synagogues and in the street corners. Why? Why then? What is the motivation behind their heart? They want to be seen. People gather in synagogues. They gather at street corners, intersections of of major thoroughfares. That's where these hypocrites choose to express their passion for prayer. And Jesus is saying, don't pray like that because they're praying to the wrong people. They're not praying to God. Hypocrites, they have, they're pretenders. They're pretending to pray to God, but actually, to whom are they praying? Well, who do they want to see seen by? Praying to people. They're not really praying to God. They are praying to impress the people around them. And he says, do not pray like that. Don't pray to impress people around you. And you just have to stop and think, because if you're like me as you come through this, aren't you sitting here thinking, well, I'm glad I don't pray like those guys. I don't pray like that. I don't, I don't go to a synagogue and pray. I don't pray on the street corner. And I, I wonder how many of you have ever been, you want to be thought of as a spiritual person. And so you are watching the sports, right? Until your husband or your wife comes in and says, pick up your Bible, right? <laughs> Don't we, we all do this, right? You want to be thought of as a diligent worker and you're checking your email until your boss comes in and suddenly you're feverishly typing away, right? We, we're pretenders at heart. We want people to think well of us. We want people to think we're impressive and good and smart and intelligent. But as soon as they walk away, we're doing something different. Um, my son coached cross country and he was telling me about a certain point in the, uh, the course of the, uh, where the students would run that suddenly it takes everybody an incredibly long time to get around this one bin, which is slightly out of view of where the coaches are. And by the time they have suddenly emerged from this secret corner, they're all sprinting, right? It's because they walked for three or four minutes and then suddenly had enough energy to run. Right? This, 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 we're pretenders. And so Jesus is saying, no pretending with God. Um, he says, people who pray like this, pray to impress other people, they will be praised by people. And that's it. He says that they have their reward. He says, truly, I say to you, they have their reward. You want to go pray on a street corner? All the passers-by will think, wow, that's a, really, that's a really religious guy or a really religious lady. It's impressive. That's the reward. And Jesus is saying, don't live for that. Don't pray like that because your heavenly Father is not impressed with that kind of fake praying. And so pray to God who sees you. So don't pray like hypocrites. Secondly, next second negative example is don't pray like the Gentiles. They also have two problems, but theirs is the how of the praying and then a misunderstanding of the character of God. So the how reflected in the language, but then in the misunderstanding of, of what pleases God. Let's read verse 7. 
So don't pray like the hypocrites. And then second example, don't pray like the Gentiles. When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. And what a, what a graphic way of speaking. They, they heap up empty phrases. When you're, you're reading the Bible, do you imagine what you're reading? How do you do that? How do you heap up emptiness? How do you pile up fruitless and things that have no substance? Is what Jesus is saying. They heap up empty words, or if you grew up, I grew up on the King James Version, right? Vain repetitions, or the NASB says meaningless repetitions. Uh, NIV, babbling, right? Keep on babbling. This is what we're doing. Meaningless words, empty phrases, just babbling. And that word, heaping up empty phrases, translates only one Greek word, which is batalageo. It's, it's onomatopoeic because it sounds like what it describes. It's a babble. It sounds like babble. So this ongoing, repetitive kind of speaking um, means, here's what the word means, to speak much with meaningless words, to utter senseless sounds or speak indistinctly and incoherently, to babble, to speak like a baby or to speak sounds that make no sense. I used to think everybody prayed like that until I was fitted for hearing aids. I used to think everybody spoke indistinctly and mumbled until I got hearing aids and I realized, wow, people are actually saying stuff. I just couldn't pick up on it. You know, I can get faked out in what we're praying. I can mishear. God's not like that. God does not have hearing problems. He does not misunderstand the intentions of the heart. And so these useless phrases, the, the point is... Do you think about what you're saying when you pray? Or do you have little go-to phrases that are really filler words to make it sound like you're really saying something? That, that's the point. Like one of mine growing up was, oh Lord, thank you for this day and please be with us. You ever pray that? I, I, that was my go-to phrase. Every prayer, you knew what I was going to say as soon as, thank you for this day. Please be with us. I was praying one time with one of my close friends, and uh, it was, I said that, Keith Hornbeck. I, I, I prayed, Lord, please be with me. And it was as if the Spirit of God said to me, my little child, I am always with you. You don't have to keep saying what I've already promised to do. I, I, it was meaningless. I didn't, my mind was not engaged. It was just a filler word. What's yours? What's your go-to language? Right? The, the misunderstanding here is partly shaped by we think there's a formula for praying. Prayer is a, a conversation with God. And you don't have to have a formula. I mean, do you ever, oh, dear wife, I thank thee for cooking me dinner. You don't, we don't talk like that to people we're engaged with. And my wife is gone, so she's not going to cook me dinner for two weeks. And some of you have already brought me a little sack of food and saying, I hope you don't go hungry while Elisa's gone. I, I know how to cook. I can push popcorn on the microwave. I'm all good. But my question, do you love God the Father such that you can just speak to him very normally? All, all the time. We're commanded to pray always, aren't we? 
Well, you don't have to have a formula to pray at all times. Moving throughout the day, in your mind, Lord, help me here. Would you give me wisdom in this meeting? Give me a sense of your spirit. What do you want me to do? How can I glorify you today? All of that is simply a very relational dynamic which we see that needs to be a part of praying rather than formula, words that we repeat that just don't mean anything. And Jesus said, don't pray like that. Don't pray that way. And is Jesus here forbidding all repetitive prayer? He's not, because if he is, he violated his own command, because we can think of the Garden of Eden, we just read it coming through Easter, when Jesus went into the Garden of Eden, and three times he prayed, Father, can this cup pass from me? Is there any other way to do this? But if not, not my will, but yours be done. We're told he said the same thing three times, repetitive, not meaningless. His spirit was engaged, right? Is our souls engaged when we're praying to the Lord? Are we really thinking? He hears. He knows what's going on in our lives. Don't pray like that. Paul did the same thing. He prayed three times. Lord, take this thorn in the flesh, whatever it was. Take it from me. He prayed it repetitively. So Jesus is not forbidding repetitive prayer. He's forbidding meaningless prayer. Words that that aren't expressive of what's truly happening in your heart. And so that's the first problem with the Gentiles. Don't, Don't pray with meaningless words. But secondly, they think they will be heard because they pray long prayers. Right? That's a misunderstanding of God. Long prayers God will answer. Where does that come from? And I think there's possibly several faulty ways of thinking that flow into the thinking that you you pray for a long time, you will get an answer to your prayer. I think first, sometimes we think God lacks sufficient motivation to do what's good. He just needs a little encouragement. Right, so we, we pray long prayers because he, he needs to be encouraged to do this. God, do, do that. Don't you know how this burden is? Don't you know this? If I could just convince you to, to do what's good, please do this. Right, those kind of prayers. Is that, is that in your mind for long prayers? Maybe. Or perhaps it's this, this notion of thinking that God um, is... is uh, he, he is lacking information, that he really doesn't know what's happening. I mean, he does. Of course, we all know God knows everything. But good grief. I mean, you think about all of the kingdoms he has to think about. I mean, there's the kingdom of heaven. It's, it's a busy place. It's a lot happening there. There's the kingdom of the earth. There's a lot happening on the earth. There's the, all the kingdom of angels. I mean, <laughs> what does he have to contend with there? Uh, or the animal kingdom. He's got lots going on there. He's got to take care of them, feeding the, you know, the sheep and goats, running over the mountains. It's a lot of bandwidth, you know, to take care of all this stuff. Maybe he forgot that tuition is due next Tuesday. And so we need to pray, Lord, the due date, tuition next Tuesday. Oh my gosh, I forgot. Already? So soon? I knew that was coming, but it just slipped up on me. Gabriel, can you go get Michael and you guys go sort out Susan's tuition problem? Sometimes do we think that? Do we think God is so busy running the universe that he, um, he really doesn't have time for us? 
It just slipped his mind, and so he needed a little coaxing. Or maybe it's he really rewards effort, right? Long prayers, there's a lot of effort there, and so um, he he rewards that effort. That that was a really good speech. Uh, Thank you. That that was really impressive. Uh, Gosh, that was like 18 minutes. Sure, let's, let's just answer. Or we think like little kids. Every little kid knows if you ask enough times, you'll probably get a yes. Right, mom and dad will get weary and we'll wear them out and we'll get our answer. What's going on in your mind when you're praying? Right, Jesus is forcing us to think about what's happening in your mind. How do you picture God as we pray? Because if, if Gentiles, we, we think, well, he rewards great effort and so long prayers are probably gonna have a better chance of yielding the outcome. And Jesus says, don't pray like that. Don't, don't pray like that. And the best example that I can think of in this instance comes from the life of Elijah. If you remember the story back in 1 Kings 18, Elisha is a prophet of God and the people of God under the leadership of Ahab have been worshiping idols of Baal and Asherah. And Elijah, under the leadership of the Lord, calls the nation and he says in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 21, how long will you go on limping between two opinions? What a potent question. We could ask ourselves the same question. Do you really believe in prayer? How long will you go on pretending to be a person who prays when you really aren't engaged? How long will you go on limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God... If Yahweh is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. And the people, wise enough to, we'll just be quiet. We'll just listen. So Elisha then calls the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Asherah, 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah, to a test, a little contest. And he invites them to come and offer an offering. And he says, you... Offer a bull on your offering, but don't light a fire. I will offer an offering, uh, put a bull on the altar, and we won't light a fire. And let whoever's God answer by fire, that's the true God. And do you know what the prophets of Baal and Asherah do? They start praying early in the morning, and they go all the way until noon. Yipping and yelling and chanting like repetitive, meanless, mindless, mindless little words, praying until noon. Three hours of praying. You ever listen to anybody pray for three hours? That, that's a long prayer. And then at noon, Elijah says, you know, maybe, um, maybe he's taking a nap. Maybe your God is taking a nap and he can't hear you. Maybe you should shout a little longer. And Elisha really gets snarky and says, or maybe he's in the restroom. And he can't hear you. Um, that's in the Bible. I did not make that up. He says that. And, and so he says, maybe you should shout a little louder. So they start cutting themselves. They, they actually start cutting themselves. And the blood begins to flow. And they shout until late afternoon, like about 3 o'clock. They've been praying for about six hours, shouting to their God, calling upon the name of their God for six hours. And there's no answer. They heard no voice. And so Elisha says... Okay, that's enough. My turn. And he offers an offering. And then he says this. Two sentences. It'll take me 20 seconds to read it. 1 Kings 18, 36. 
O Lord, Yahweh, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, and that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Amen. Fire came down immediately. 20 seconds to answer a prayer. And my point is, you don't have to pray long prayers to twist God's arm into doing good. He doesn't lack motivation or information in order to answer prayers. But the prayer inspired by the Lord and moved, he answers. He's, he's not deaf. He is near and attentive. So don't pray like the Gentiles. Don't pray like hypocrites who love public prayer in order to be praised by people. Don't pray like Gentiles who have so many words and empty phrases that they're using. Don't pray long prayers because you think God uh, can supply. He doesn't have the motivation that he needs or he doesn't have the information that he needs or he needs some kind of twisting. Don't pray like that. So let's conclude with, all right, how should we pray? Verse 6. How should we then pray? And we'll begin an answer that we'll have to finish today, but we'll, we'll pick up next week. Jesus says to his people, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. So go into your room, go pray in private. Go into your room and even close your door. So the, the room, this word talks about an inner room in a house that doesn't have uh, windows. It sometimes refers to a storeroom. Sometimes it's used in reference of a closet. Uh, and so Jesus is saying, go into a private place and pray and then um, close the door. And what is he saying because some of us are like, I'll go into my house, but I'll leave it cracked so my wife sees that I'm praying. I, I, I can, I can, I'll go into my room, but I still want some people to see me. I'll just make it look like I don't want to be seen. We're very creative. And yet he says, close the door. You don't have to be seen by others. And it, it struck me how present sin is in twisting what we would otherwise do as good. Because here's Jesus saying, you, 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 when you're praying, sin is present to twist what you're doing. Even in acts of devotion to God, sin is present within us looking to take an opportunity to twist our devotion to the Lord. And so go into a, a secret place and then close the door. Make sure you're truly secret. Because the greatest way of, of ensuring you don't Pray to impress the people around you is just to make sure there aren't any people around you. If you're prone to, to wanting the praise of people, eliminate yourself from that place of temptation is what Jesus is saying. And is he here uh, forbidding public prayer? Well, no, because if he is, then Jesus himself violated his own command because in John chapter 17, we have an entire chapter filled with a prayer that Jesus prayed right in front of his, all of his disciples. And later in the garden, he knelt down and prayed within earshot of all of his disciples. The, the early church, they prayed in public. 
Um, so if, if all public prayer is being prohibited, neither Jesus nor the rest of his disciples got the message. So it, it's, he's not forbidding public prayer. What he's forbidding here is, is the desire to be praised by people. And so that, avoid that. But do pray in private. Pray with an audience of God the Father, which, which points me to this incredible notion of the personal aspect of prayer. In, in verses 6 to 8, three times Jesus says, Your Father... So look at it. If you look in verse 6, twice in verse 6, you will see, pray to your father. Your father who sees in secret will reward you. And then at the end of verse 7, your father knows what you have need of. Your father. He's encouraging us to think about prayer as spending time with our father. And I realize that some of you might have had terrible fathers. You might have not have a good experience with your earthly father. But please don't put those faults upon God the Father. He's great company to be with. He is exceedingly pleasant to get to know. And I, I want to share one quote with you. Of, when you think about what is prayer, Martin Lloyd-Jones, who lived from 1899 to 1981, a great preacher in the UK, started out in medicine and ended up in ministry. He defined prayer as this. Prayer is ultimately a talk, a conversation, a communion with my Father, one whom one loves. Prayer is communing with the Father who you love and who loves you. Think of prayer as that way of beginning to enter into a place of sweet communion. And if that's foreign to you, I want to invite you to earnestly pray. Lord, I, I don't get that. But here we have the, the king of the universe saying to us, pray like this. Jesus did this. He got away by himself and prayed to his heavenly father. He went away to desolate places, to be alone, to commune with his father. And, and I want to invite you during this season, you're praying, I hope you're still praying, Lord, let your kingdom come. We've been praying this since the beginning of this Sermon on the Mount. Keep praying it. Let your kingdom come. And I want to ask you, will you pray? Will you let the kingdom communion come to me in my secret prayer? Because will God not answer such a prayer? If, if your heart is genuine, will he not? If this is his desire is to commune with his people? Because part of it... Prayer is not for his information. He doesn't command us to pray so that God will be informed about things he doesn't know. So what's the purpose of prayer? It's not for God. He's not lonely and he, lack, and he wants us to be in communion with him. He knows we're lonely without him. And so he commands us to commune with him through prayer. He's inviting you to think differently about prayer and us. And I wonder if you will accept a challenge. Don't pray to impress people. Don't, don't pray to increase your own reputation. Let your reputation be wiped away. And will you begin to pray, uh, not by multiplying words and empty phrases and repetitive, meaningless kinds of language and babbling, but will you pray in private? Will you pray that the Lord will let the communion of the kingdom settle into your soul
Will you listen to a father who wants to sit with his children and pray and experience that kind of spiritual communion? Will you ask the Lord to transform your prayer life? Because I think that's what Jesus is inviting us to do. He, he, is, he wants a reward to be granted to his people. And so, will you pursue the reward that comes from God the Father? And part of it is enjoying his communion, enjoying his presence. Will you pray like that so that your soul can be fed on him who is the source of every good thing? I think he'll answer that prayer. It probably won't come in a time when you want it. God rarely does that. But I think if we begin to train ourselves and begin habits of prayer, I think things will, will change. And so let's call upon the Lord for those things. So I want, I want to invite you just to pray with me. Think about what, what goes in your mind that shapes your idea of God. Is, is he a judge waiting to squash you? If that's what you think about him, you probably won't pray to him. But if he is a father who delights to spend time with his children, then perhaps that might change our minds. Lord Jesus, we ask that your words would find root in our hearts and souls. That your invitation to personal and private prayer with God the Father, I pray that it would be pleasing to us. Let it come to us as the voice of God saying, I yearn to be with you, my child. I yearn to spend time with you. And Father, please forgive us for allowing the busyness of life to prevent us from pursuing you. Would you pour out your spirit upon this people and, and give us a hunger and a thirst for communing with you in times of secret prayer. Keep us from wanting to impress people with our words. Prevent us from desiring the praise of men more than we desire hearing from you words of praise that we're seeking you. And Lord, I pray, make, make us into the kind of people who enjoy your company. And, and please pour out your spirit on us so that we would see the goodness of spending time with you. Give us creativity in planning our schedules so that we can prioritize time with you and communion with you in secret prayer. So Father, help us through all of this. And Jesus, we look to you because you know what it's like. You live through a busy life you owned a small business. You had four irritating brothers. You, you lost your father when you were young. Jesus, help us, I pray. Help us in our seeking of you. We are little children. We cannot do this on our own. We look to you, Lord Jesus, to supply the help that we need. And it is in your name that we pray. Amen.